This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and we have marched our way into a new year. Are you excited? Did you survive the holidays? What was your favorite part? One of my favorite parts of the holiday season is college football bowl season. But unfortunately, this year it was a little disappointing with all the people, all the players sitting out, opting out, going pro, transferring, not playing in the games, which hurt a lot of the games. We could have had some exciting games like Missouri-Ohio State, but it turned out to be a snooze fest because the players for both teams didn't really play. And then you had some mismatches like Oregon and Liberty. And then, of course, the debacle of Georgia and Florida State. We talked about Florida State in a previous podcast. Um, so, yeah, but there were a few games. The Rose Bowl, for example, was a good matchup. The Holiday Bowl saw USC and perhaps their next quarterback, Miller Moss, scoring six touchdown passes, which I think was a record. That was pretty exciting. Uh, there were some other games like Ole Miss-Penn State was a good matchup. But um, Texas-Washington, great ending, great game. And I want to talk about Steve Sarkeesian in a minute, but did you know that in 1963 there were only nine bowl games? This year we had 43, I think it was, 43, 44. And a lot of games were like 6-6 six and six Akron taking on 6-6 six and six Louisiana Monroe. And unless you are an alumni or maybe you go to the school or maybe you live in that community. Nobody really cares about those matchups. And does anybody really care about six and six teams? I mean, Minnesota, I like to follow Minnesota. The Golden Goofers were five and seven, and they made a bowl game. So, yeah, it was uh, a little bit disappointing. But, again, 1963, nine bowl games. Today we have 43. Of those nine back in 63, eight are still operational. You have the Rose Bowl the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. Then you have the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas, the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee, the Gator Bowl, and the Tangerine Bowl, which is now the Citrus Bowl today, so those two in Florida. And the only bowl game not in an existence in any form is the Blue Bonnet Bowl that was in Houston, Texas. But you grew from those nine to 43. And like I said, one of the more exciting games was the Texas-Washington game. Ended on a uh, one second left on the clock, one play left, and Washington was able to pull it out. But if you look at their head coach, Texas, the Longhorns, with Steve Sarkeesian, he's got a pretty interesting story. And that's part about uh, what we're going to talk about on the show is like second chances and redoing life if you get that opportunity. So Steve Sarkeesian was supposed to be a genius as he was coming up through the ranks, an offensive guru, as they call him. And he spent time as an assistant at USC, and then he went to be the head coach at Washington with the Huskies. And then he came back to USC, and things started to fall apart. In 2015, he got fired because the team was struggling. But not only that, but he had an alcohol problem, and he had some other issues going on. And so he got fired from USC and started to go down into the abyss and hit rock bottom. And here he is, Steve Sarkeesian, telling you exactly kind of what happened and how his life began to turn around. 
it was a tough start. Like when you, I like that we started there because the reality is that's when my life changed, right? That was when um, you're out of work, you can't get a job, you can't get an interview, you're trying to figure out who you are as a person and you start chopping away and you find out who is close to you and who's supporting you and you lean into those people and you lean into the people that have good intentions for you and you just start trying to find your way. And in 2015, as I came out of that and had gotten fired at USC, gone to recovery, started working on me personally, and then coming out of that, not being able to get a job, somewhere in there, somebody's got to extend an olive branch to you. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, I was ready to go do TV. I, I, couldn't, get a, I couldn't get an interview for a job. And uh, Nick Saban saved my career. Wow. And he offered me an analyst job. And I was willing to do it for free. But he said, I got to pay you $30,000 so that you can get benefits. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I'm forever indebted to him because at that time, you know, somebody in life has got to give all of us a second chance, right? And um, it totally changed my perspective. It changed my perspective on how I coach, how I deal with our players, um, because everybody's going through stuff, right? Everybody's got stuff. Whatever that, that your stuff is, you, you just try to get through it. And if I can be that guy that can extend that olive branch to our players as we go through this journey, I always lean back to that time because here's the greatest coach of all time in our era, right? And um, for whatever reason, he saw something in me to give me a chance, to give me a shot. And as the story goes, continues on, he talks about the support group around him. He mentioned Nick Saban, the coach at Alabama, giving him an olive branch, hiring him to be an, an analyst, paying him, you know, small amount of money, but enough so he could get benefits. And it turned his career around. The other person that he credits a lot to was back in 2015, he was married, but because of everything that was going on, he ended up getting a divorce. Well, he met somebody new along his journey to recovery, and it was his wife, became his second wife. And she was somebody that became instrumental in helping him rebuild his life, providing sound advice. Um, going back to Alabama, he was at Alabama. He left to go to the Falcons for a couple of years, then went back to Alabama. And that was her encouraging him to do that, which helped his career, eventually helped him get to Texas. So again, he, in 2015, Steve Sarkeesian is basically looking into the abyss and sees nothing staring him back. What's his character going to be like? What's he going to do? He tried and tried and tried to get a job, but nobody would give him a job. So he's going to go do TV. Obviously, his passion is coaching. Can't get a coaching job. So Nick Saban extends him an olive branch, second chance. He makes the most of it. Then he starts to surround himself, especially with his wife, people that are there to help and encourage him and to push him in a direction that is going to be beneficial not only for his career, but for his life, his personal life his non-professional life. And so he starts to build his way back and gets to Texas, has a struggle for a little bit, and then all of a sudden this year he has a good year, beats Alabama early in the season, and then makes it to the Final Four, if you will, and they end up losing to Washington in a pretty close game. But that's what life is all about. And as we start a new year, everybody is always looking towards the new year. Everyone's always looking at resolutions, what can I do to help myself get better, right? I'm going to go to the gym. That's the big one. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to do certain things to help me 
get better. Do away with toxic people. Make sure that my relationships are going to be good ones this year. You know, things like that. And that's all important and that's all good. We should be doing that. But what about making resolutions to extend an olive branch to somebody that might need a second chance? Somebody that might need help because maybe they have gone through their abyss. Maybe they, like Steve Sarkeesian, was having problems in life and now they want to rebuild their life and so they want to do something, but they can't because they just can't. Can't get a job. Can't get a coaching job. Nick Saban, Olive Branch. Maybe you can be that Olive Branch for somebody to help them get a second chance. Maybe vouch for them. Maybe be a... um, You put on the resume, you know, those references. Maybe you're a reference for somebody. Whatever it is, you're an olive branch. It reminds me of a story for longtime football coach Bill Schneider. He was at Kansas State University, and it was a number of years ago, and it just kind of popped into my head as I was talking about it. But he um, was the football coach, and he had a young assistant, probably making $30,000 like Steve Sarkeesian was, and this young assistant had a family but apparently wasn't making enough money to be able to support the family, and so he was going to quit coaching. Bill Schneider said, no, we will help you find you some daycare, whatever, so that you can continue coaching and be on my staff. And Bill Schneider paid out of his own pocket for this child care. This coach went on to become a, a, a valuable assistant over the years for Bill Schneider. Now, he could have said, okay, I understand your predicament, and, you know, that's fine, off you go. But instead, like Nick Saban, Bill Schneider reached out, was an olive branch, found a solution, personally invested in that solution, and ultimately became a mentor to this guy. And this guy became a valuable asset, and Bill Schneider had some pretty good years. In fact, at Kansas State, Kansas State, he built up a program. He left for a couple of years, and he had to come back and rebuild that same program. But, the, but when you get outside of the X's and O's, good coaches, great coaches – are like that. They go beyond. And all you hear is the accolades from on the field, right? And maybe sometimes you hear about that coaching tree. You know, this coach, maybe Bobby Knight of Indiana, had all these assistants under him that have gone on to be head coaches, and they've done great things. But you never hear about kind of those personal stories, like Nick Saban being the olive branch for Steve Sarkeesian to make his way back in life. Or maybe Bill Schneider helping out an assistant by personally paying for daycare and helping out so that he can stay in the coaching ranks. What can we do? Oftentimes we're caught up in the competition of life, right? We're caught up in, well, I've got to do my own thing. I got to look out for number one. I got to look out for me. I got to take all the credit. And unfortunately in life, and I've experienced that myself in the radio business, there were a lot of times where I wanted to help younger broadcasters come along. And so I would let them do some things, and then they would get all the credit and the accolades, but no one realized that, you know, in my position, I was able to put them so that they could be successful. And so it's very difficult to try to get ahead in life without helping others because that accolades that you might need for promotion, for pay raise, et cetera, going to go to somebody else. And then they look more valuable. And so it's hard. But Maybe in the new year, maybe that's something that we can do. Maybe that's something that we can go for. And then in life, I mean, just think about in life, you, maybe you're having a hard time. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you need a second chance. And maybe the world is being difficult. 
and not helping you out, not giving you that second chance. Here's Tony Evans describing one situation where somebody is there waiting to give you a second chance. I know you, like me, have areas in your life of regret, things that if you could go back and do it over again, you would. Well, such is the case of Moses. He made a miscalculation, and it came with a price tag because our sins do bring consequences. But the beautiful thing is that doesn't have to be the last word in your life or my life or the lives of the people we love and care about. God has a way of hitting a bullseye with a crooked stick. And so if you look back and you wish things were different, but you can't change them, I want to let you know God is the God of the second chance, and yes, third and fourth and sometimes fifth chance. When you come clean with him, and you open up for what he wants to do in your life now, for where he's taking you later, you will find he can take the misery of the past and turn it into the miracle of the future because you're dedicated to him in the present. So don't let discouragement rule. Don't let it take you down. God has a way of using you in spite of yesterday. God has a way of using you despite what you did yesterday. So if you're struggling in life and you're looking for a second chance, God can give you a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, and he can open doors for you that others might not. Now, Steve Sarkeesian, I think, is Catholic, so he does have faith. Maybe his faith. His faith in God. God allowed those doors to open so that all the branch could be extended to him by Nick Saban. Oftentimes, we think it's just fate, happenstance, karma. But maybe there's more of a divine intervention than what we give credit for. And so, if you are struggling... If you're having a hard time, if you want a second chance, but life isn't being accommodating, maybe turning to God might be a way. You can always reach out to me. The email address is TWO. Everything is TWO, but two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. Start with me. If I can't help you, I know people that I could maybe refer you to or introduce you to so that they might be able to help you. But you don't have to do it alone. You never have to go alone. You can always reach out. Maybe there's others. I may not be a person that is going to be involved in your life every single day. Maybe because of distance, whatever. But I can be here for you. Share something. Be someone who wants to just listen. Maybe sometimes we just need to talk it out. But whatever it is, I'm just saying, if there's no place to go and you don't know where to start and you don't know who to talk to, reach out. Two steps at podcast at gmail.com. Could be a good starting point to have a conversation and then maybe connect with other people and then go from there. Because you don't have to do it alone. And life is tough as it is. And then for those of you that might be in a position to help, be that olive branch like Nick Saban. Maybe it's time we step up in the new year. I mean, it's an election season. 
election year, it's going to get nasty out there. It's already nasty on social media, but it's going to get worse. Because when you take a look at the political scheme, the, the landscape of things that are going on, I mean, you've got all kinds of craziness. I mean, think about this. Uh, Epstein's list or the documents are coming out and more and more people are being named. Whether they've done something wrong, you know, some people have been named and maybe they were just an associate. Maybe they were invited to perform magic tricks. Maybe they just took a picture and that picture was with somebody, but it was just one of a gazillion pictures that supermodel might have taken with people. And then maybe there's others that really were evil people with evil intention wanting to abuse those girls that were being sex trafficked. And as we go into the new year and all these things are on the headlines or in the headlines, it gives us an opportunity to kind of look and see what is going on. And if you've taken a political stand, okay, I'm just going to use a name because it's pretty prominent, and that's Bill Clinton. If you're automatically defending him, saying he did no wrong because of a political ideology, then perhaps you need to take a step back because what's at stake? Well, he's not a political leader anymore, but these girls that were abused, remember during the Supreme Court hearings with Kavanaugh and them? And Kamala Harris was up there. We believe all women. Well, Juanita Broderick says that Clinton raped her. Paula Jones, Jennifer Flowers, and others. But no, they throw them to the wayside. What about Tara Reid, who's made accusations against Joe Biden? See, there's real people at stake, and yet you and me, we need to be careful that we're just not taking sides of a of a political agenda or political ideology and defending people because there are real people. There are real survivors of human trafficking and there are people that are still involved in human trafficking. It's real, whether it's for sexual, a sexual business or whether it's like child slavery, someplace else, uh, labor, whatever it is. There are people that are being forced to do things against their will. And those are people that need an olive branch, that need help. What about abusive relationships? Here's a story of somebody surviving human trafficking and what she went through. I am Dr. Nisi Hamilton, and I am a survivor of human trafficking. When I was 15, I had aged out of foster care, and I was homeless. And I remember running into a homegirl who told me, hey, you know, I have a solution for your problem. Um, I work as a waitress at a strip club. You can use my ID to work at another strip club while I work at this strip club. And all you're doing is waitressing. You make money. My boyfriend will keep your baby. And, hey, you know, you'll be good. As the boyfriend's keeping my baby, he goes, you can't get your kid back unless you make me $200 a day. He's going to the strip club bragging about how much money he's making off of me. And there's another pimp that's sitting in the club. He sends a message to the girls that he's already pimping out to me that I can make $200 a day faster if I'm no longer a waitress but a stripper because he wants to see 
what am I willing to give up or what am I willing to sacrifice? That was barrier testing. Let me test your limits. The betrayal comes in. Baby, you ain't been working. It's hard for me to get your hair and your nails done like I used to. I need you to bring in some money. So we're talking about from 15 to 19. I had already been trafficked and sleeping with every bit of about 1,500 men at this point. I made a decision to enlist into the Navy without my pimp knowing about it. And when he found out, I still got beat. And I remember begging the officer, please don't arrest me, please don't arrest me. I said, I'm leaving to the Navy. This is the only chance, this is the only chance I got to get away. I need you to help me. And he looked at me and he said, I believe you. But had I been arrested that night, I wouldn't have survived human trafficking. Here's someone at one point that could have used an olive branch coming out of the foster care system. She aged out. And then a friend says, hey, I got a solution for you. You use my ID at one club, I'll work at another club, and my boyfriend will watch your child. And then the boyfriend's like, you can't have your child back unless you make me more and more and more money. And then it goes from there. Couldn't she have used an olive branch coming out of foster care? Somebody come in and say, hey, wait a minute. I got a job for you that doesn't require you to work in a strip club. If you think about the the world of sex trafficking, child trafficking, a lot of people think that it's the stranger abducting a child. Okay. But we played clips before. There was a clip from another show where a gal was sex trafficked in her own neighborhood when she would go to her grandmother's house. And there's some boys down the street. And they threatened to kill her grandmother if she didn't do what they told her to do. So it's not always the Hollywood scenes or the Hollywood movies, the kidnappings that lead to the trafficking. In fact, a majority of the time, the victims are trafficked by someone they know. Maybe a friend, a family member, romantic partner. In this case, Dr. Hamilton was trafficked by somebody, well, ultimately she got started in it by someone she knew. The other myth is that only girls and women are trafficked. Boys and men are likely to be trafficked just as much as girls and women are. It's less reported, unfortunately. And if you take a look at the the global sex trafficking or human trafficking, you've got people being forced into marriage. Obviously, you got sexual exploitation. You got forced labor, recruitment into armed groups. And that's kind of fascinating because there's something coming up in a little bit that I want to talk about. But you've got people being forced into armed groups or a part of things that they don't want to be a part of, but yet they have to partake for their survival. For those of you that haven't seen, maybe you should go onto the you know, video hosting sites and check out some videos of forced labor when it comes to things such as EV, 
electric vehicles, those batteries, things that are needed for green energy. You should look it up. A lot of kids working overseas, forced labor to get the material that you need for that EV. And the reason why I bring that up is because the people that talk about green energy, electric vehicles and stuff, you know, they say they're doing it for a better reason, to save the environment. But at what cost in the lives of these kids? Children in the United States, actually I think it's children everywhere, make up almost 30% of trafficking. So it's not always just adults. A lot of kids. Again, it's forced labor. It's being forced into you know, armed militias. Debt bondage. We've got a big border crisis going on. A lot of coyotes, people that are smuggling others into this country and charging them a lot of money and then upcharging them and then holding people hostage, kidnapping them until they pay off an enormous ransom. I mean, it's just crazy. There was a story a number of years ago, and it was about these girls that had gone missing, and they turned up because I guess one of them escaped from a basement in a house in Cleveland, Ohio, and they were just a couple blocks away from where they were taken. So you've got to be on the lookout is another thing, too is what is going on in this world. And the thing that's sad, okay, is that you've got, like I said, you've got all kinds of issues going on. You've got children in forced labor in the mines overseas so that we can get the materials that we need for, and I'll be, I'll be less political about it, for our iPhones and for other electronics that we need, okay? But we don't take that in consideration. We've got, obviously, young women being trafficked for sex trafficking, We've got all kinds of things going on. 27%, 30% are kids. But then you take a look at this list, Epstein's list that came out, and people want to hide the names. Now, you can be one that salivates over the names and sensationalizes it and gets crazy over it, the National Enquirer approach to it. But what really needs to be done is these people need to be held accountable. But yet, people don't want to hold them accountable. I mean, you look back at a a law in California. It classified human trafficking of a minor for the purpose of commercial sex a serious felony. Now it's taken effect because it's the new year. People convicted of commercial child sex trafficking would face longer prison terms and potential life sentences. Now when this bill first was introduced, the California Legislative Safety Committee turned it down. They want no part of it. They said, no, we're not going to do it. Why would you turn down a crime or a bill that would enhance the penalties for trafficking a child? There was so much backlash, and it was really supported by a certain political group, but there was so much backlash that even the liberal people had to cave. And eventually the safety committee that originally voted it down, and you should check out the California Legislature Safety Committee and just see how much damage they're doing to California and how they're trying to protect the criminals. You think the district attorneys are the only ones in California? I mean, the San Francisco district attorney was recalled 
because she wasn't even, or he wasn't even doing prosecution of crime. But people are protecting. Even Gavin Newsom had to cave and sign the bill. But people are protecting others and covering up their crimes. Remember the widespread abuse that took place in the Catholic Church by priests and how the Catholic Church would just move priests from one place to another? Or what about the Boy Scouts? Or what about Penn State? Jerry Sandusky. People see things and yet they cover it up for whatever reason. It might not even be a nefarious cover-up. It just might be like, well, I'm just a lowly person and I don't really know what to do and so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Would it not be better to lose your job and yet expose something than to let it carry on and let more and more victims be abused? It's unbelievable. There's a book out called Ordinary Men. I'm not sure if it's recent or not. But it's a a true story about a reserve police battalion of the German order of police. This is back in World War II. Now, this reserve police battalion was responsible for mass shootings as well as roundups of Jewish people for deportation to Nazi camps in, uh, to their death camps in Poland in 1942. Jordan Peterson talks about the mentality, the psyche of these types of people and who they are and what they're about. Many of the people, not all, many of the people who were involved in the Nazi atrocities were perfectly ordinary people. They were just like you. And you think, no, I wouldn't do that. It's like, that's not what the evidence suggests. The evidence suggests that the vast majority of people in Nazi Germany went along with it. Now, not all of them were dragged into the abyss itself, but plenty were. And if you think you wouldn't have been one of them, that just means it's highly likely that you would have, because you have no idea what you're capable of. There's a great book about that. It's a terrifying book called Ordinary Men, and it's about the initiation of a police battalion from Germany who went to Poland after the Germans marched into Poland. Now, these were ordinary men. They were policemen, middle-aged, who had grown up before the Nazi propaganda mill got going. Okay, so they weren't indoctrinated Nazis from like the time they were four. They're just ordinary middle-class guys. Plus, their commander told them in Poland when they were starting to do military work, even though they were civilian policemen, that they could go home, that they didn't have to do this job, and that there would be no repercussions. And in fact, out of the battalion, a number of men right at the beginning said, I'm not doing this, and they went home. The vast majority went along. Now, the guys that left thought, I don't care, I'm not doing this, but most people didn't. And part of the reason they didn't do it is because they were loyal to to their peers. By the end of this, which took months, these guys were taking naked pregnant women out into the middle of fields and shooting them in the back of the head. See, here's a group of ordinary people not indoctrinated before the propaganda mill of Hitler and Nazi Germany. 1942, they go into Poland and they become these evil people, ordinary people, because they were loyal to the person next to them. They weren't fanatical. Normal people. That's the name, ordinary men. And then it goes on, and, and apparently in the book, uh, these three groups 
emerge within the battalion and they become eager killers, carrying out their duties with reliability. And then some of them, like he said, like uh, Jordan Peterson said, they, they went home. They didn't want to be a part of it. And so the uh, summary of the book, it says, while the book discusses a specific reserve unit during World War II, the general argument of this guy Browning, who I believe is the author of the book, makes it that most people succumb to the pressure of a group setting and commit actions they would never do of their own volition. Most people succumb to the pressures of a group setting and commit actions they would never do of their own volition. Hmm. Can you think of anything? Well, there's several things that are going on right now. I mean, just think back a couple years ago to the BLM rioting and protesting, burning down cities. Were you a part of that? Did you support that? We all know that's wrong. Burn cities down, destroy property. But yet a lot of people succumbing to the pressures of a group setting and going along with it. Ordinary people, not indoctrinated. In fact, a lot of people had no idea what BLM was about until the riots. What about COVID? COVID didn't exist until it was unleashed upon the world. And then all of a sudden, groups pressured or ordinary people succumb to the pressure of a group setting and committing actions, telling people, if you don't get the vaccine, I hope you die. I hope you get COVID and die. I was told that several times. Or how about ordinary people succumbing to the pressures of a group setting and vilifying people who didn't want to wear a mask? Were you a part of it? What about approving a weaponized DOJ and abusing the electoral process? What about all the stuff going on at the border? Are you still supporting a political agenda, political leaders that aren't doing anything about the border crisis? And yet we know not only is it affecting our country, but the people that are trying to get into this country and the ramifications of who those people might be coming in. But what about the people being trafficked? What about the kids that are being sent on their own? There's a lot of stuff that the media is covering up down at the border because they don't want the current administration to look bad. But there's a lot of trafficking, a lot of rape, a lot of abuse, coyotes, kidnapping people and holding them for ransom until their family pays off. What about on October 6th? Everyone's sitting around, minding their own business. Nobody had a care in the world. And then all of a sudden, October 7th, Hamas attacks Israel, invades them practically. And then all of a sudden, Israel is the bad guy? Anti-Semitism rises because people on social media said that we should be pro-Palestinian. And then all of a sudden now, the people that were the invaders you know, the bad people, they're the victims. And Israel that was invaded, they're the bad people. The victims become the perpetrators, and the perpetrators become the victims. 
What about just the influence of TikTok with this transgender ideology? What about education? Parents have become terrorists. Things such as drag queen storybook time is okay. What about other sexualized material in school? Common sense. Things that are common sense. Should we really abuse kids with transgender sex surgery? A kid is 8, 9, 10 years old. Should they really be going and taking hormone therapy? No, of course not. Because they don't know. They haven't developed. Here's the logical thing. People wanted to raise the age for people to have a gun to 21 because they're not responsible at 18 to have a gun. So you're telling me that you're not responsible at 18 to have a gun, but you're responsible at 8, 9, and 10-year-olds to change your gender? You're out of control. That's a mental illness. That might go beyond ordinary people succumbing to the pressures of group setting, but that is huge, and they're going to see it. If you look at the world through, most people succumb to the pressures of a group setting and commit actions they would never do of their own vol- uh, volition. That is huge. Think back to high school and the stuff that you might have done. What about all these people going to the island and partaking, thinking it's okay? Unbelievable. So you take a look at the stuff that's going on. Let's talk about abortion. Everybody knows that killing off babies is a bad thing, but we don't because it's been inundated and it's been propagandized, and people have been wired to think that it's okay. But if it's okay, I ask you this. If it is okay... Why, according to Planned Parenthood, does it cost upwards of $800 to get the abortion pill? Although at Planned Parenthood, I guess you get a discount for $580. And why do most abortions start around $800 and then depending on how far along you go, goes up to $2,000 for an operation, a procedure? $2 billion in taxpayer money from 2019 to 2021 went into the pockets of Planned Parenthood. $90 million in COVID loans. Internationally, the international Planned Parenthood was almost another $2 billion, $4 billion. You're telling me this isn't about the money? They don't care about people. They don't care about you. Regardless of what you think, they do not care. They want the money. The highest paid affiliate, CEO, Dara DeGiorgio Johnson had a Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest, $616,000 a year. Do you think she wants abortion to go away? Absolutely not. The next four CEOs make upwards of a half a million dollars. Ruth Ellen Bloggett, head of Planned Parenthood of the Mid-Hudson Valley. Ken Lambrecht, or Lambrecht, head of Planned Parenthood of Greater Texas, and so on. Half a million dollars or more. This is about money. And if you think those numbers are shocking, according to Planned Parenthood's most recent financial report, it's all on their website, their former president, Leanna Wen, made over a million dollars in 2019 before she retired. Do you think this is still about health care for women? Do you think these people still care about women? Absolutely not. They care about the almighty dollar. And so for people to sit there and say, oh, it's about my body, my choice. It's about a woman's right to choose. No, it's about money. Because keep in mind, again, it was an all-male Supreme Court that initially instituted a ruling back in the early 70s that said abortion was okay. 
Every year, $618 million from taxpayer money goes to Planned Parenthood. It's a billion, multi-billion dollar a year. And yet, ordinary people succumbing to this ideology because of the group setting. What about the cost of a child's sex change surgery? This is from Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue pushing this a couple years ago. Uh, I guess somebody that had their transition was writing the article in favor of it, why you should be transgendered. But this person writes, for one thing, it's expensive. According to medical professionals, the cost is 7000 to 24000 for a male-to-female procedure. Male-to-female. So I guess you're removing body parts. And more than 50000 for female-to-male procedures. No wonder why we want to force this on kids. It's the next billion-dollar multi billion dollar and people say they kids have become such a pawn society abuses kids first it was you know the parents abusing kids we can't have that so we have to take them away but now everybody's abusing kids society political agendas it's unbelievable it's also only performed these surgeries after a person has received hormone therapy for at least a year. Now, hormone therapy is about $1,500 a year. You have to do it for a year or two. A lot of people recommend two years. But that's, you know, what, $3,000? So anywhere between twenty-four dollars to $50,000 plus another 3000 Plus, if you want facial feminization surgery, which is recommended, if you're a, a dude wanting to become a woman, you have to Soften your facial features. That's anywhere between twenty-five to sixty thousand. Breast augmentations. You need uh, breast augmentation. Five to ten thousand dollars. So you're looking at anywhere between forty to ninety-seven thousand dollars plus costs, hospital stays, follow-ups, hormones, etc. Of course, people are going to push this because they can make money off of it. It's greed. And that's, so they sit there and they say, oh, it should be for kids because our kids are this or kids are that. We're supposed to protect kids. The adults are not protecting it. The adults aren't the adults in the room. And there's a lot of people succumbing to this. And it's going beyond what the ordinary men was talking about, where ordinary people succumbing in a group setting to do things they normally wouldn't do. Now it's becoming indoctrination. It's becoming, have you seen the rise from social media, the influence on how people are now starting to think because it's a group setting. The group setting is no longer the group setting of people here. It's the group setting of social media. The most toxic place on earth is formerly known as Twitter, X, and then next is probably TikTok. Maybe our former president was right. Maybe we should get rid of TikTok. But how does all this fit into the new, the new year? Remember, we started out by talking about an olive branch, right? We need to extend an olive branch to Steve Sarkeesian because he's going to get a job. So Nick Saban does, turns his life around. What happens now? Steve Sarkeesian is looking at his players in a different light, recognizing that everybody has something going on. And now I'm going to approach it as a coach to make sure that not only do I coach them, coach them to win, but also coach them and mentor them so that they can, Make it in life. Become young men. 
one of the biggest transitions or areas of transitions in life that I think people fall short in is that transition from high school to college into adult, young adult. A lot of people think, oh, he's 18, she's 18, boom, gone. Like Dr. Hamilton, the lady that was sex trafficked, she aged out of foster care. She was kicked to the curb. What happens? Someone, a friend, comes along and says, use my ID, go in that club and serve drinks. Don't even take your clothes off. Just serve drinks and make money. And that turns into then ultimately because her child was being kidnapped, so to speak, by a pimp. All of a sudden now she has to make more money, more money, more money. And the next thing you know, she is now engaged in prostitution. Imagine the difference if she had somebody out of foster care said, no, you come with me and we're going to maybe try to get you a skill. We're going to try to get you educated. We're going to try to do things so that you can become successful in life and not have to go down that path. And fortunately for her, she got out of it because the Navy, but then apparently the police officer didn't arrest her, showed some compassion. The olive branch was handed to her. See, we always talk about on the show a few different things, but it comes down to our mentality. And I like to refer to this clip, you know, the lion's mentality. How do we approach things? First of all, how do we approach the problems that come our way? But then how do we approach life in general to help others? Because I've always talked about, you know, we do something, we take our inner greatness and we bring it out. So we raise the standard in our life so our inner greatness can come out so that we can accomplish things. And then from there, maybe others see us. And so then they raise the standard. And now others are starting to do it. And you get this trickle-down effect, right? But maybe now it's time to not only help ourselves, but now maybe it's time to extend that olive branch to other people like Nick Saban, like Bill Schneider, like others have done, and take an active approach to helping others avoid the pitfalls, push back on agendas that say it's okay to harm people, that this ideology, this mindset is okay. Maybe it's time we take a stand and say, no, it's not okay. It's not okay to abuse kids. It's not okay to use them as a pawn in political agendas. It's not okay to use them as a pawn in the education world. They don't need to be indoctrinated with this. I mean, we've done podcasts before where less than 50% of the country, less than 50%, more than 50% is illiterate or can't do reading and math at grade level. So that means less than 50% can do math and reading at grade level. And now it's even moved into the sciences. We're raising up generations of uneducated people and replacing that education with indoctrination. Indoctrination from people that may not be here in 10 years. Have you taken a look at Congress? How many 80-year-olds are in the Senate? Not going to be here in a few years. Why are we listening to people like that and listening to these agendas and accepting what they have to say. Check out mealworms and crickets, how it's entering your food system. But it's a lion's mentality. It takes a lion's mentality to overcome and push back and try to achieve things in this world. If the lion is the king of the jungle, how can he be the king of the jungle? If he's not the biggest... The elephant is probably one of the biggest. He can't be the fastest because that's a cheetah. He can't be the smartest 
So he's not the biggest, the fastest, or the smartest. So how does a lion become the king of the jungle? His mentality. That's the only difference of a lion and an elephant. When a lion walks up and sees an elephant, he thinks lunch. An elephant thinks run. And it's all mentality. Because when a male lion walks up, he may be outnumbered by a pack of hyenas, but I'm king of my jungle because of my mentality. Are you going to be king of your jungle because of your mentality? Are you going to stand strong in your mindset? Or are you going to be inundated with propaganda? And are you going to be one of those ordinary people that succumbs to things that you normally wouldn't do because you're pressured in a group setting? You're not pushing back. You're out there protesting and rioting even though you know that it's wrong. You're doing things even though you know that it's wrong. But you want to be accepted. You want to be a part of the group. And so you don't say anything. And so you go along with it. It's pretty sad. It takes a strong person with a strong character to stand up. Especially against the tsunami of propaganda that's being pushed out there. And people know it's wrong. And yet they continue to do it. They continue to go after it. Maybe it's time we step up and make changes. How do we make changes? We start in our own community. We start in our own neighborhood. Maybe in our own schools. Maybe we need to volunteer. Maybe we need to look to others to see where can we help others. And it takes sacrifice. It takes hard work. It's not going to be easy. But we got to do it. You know, there was at one time a thought where the the thought process was we want to have it better for the next generation. Are we really making it better for the next generation or has the next generation become the byproduct of what we're pushing on them and not because they have a choice? I mean, just take a look at the kids. Have you seen TV recently how many drug commercials are pushed on you? for things that I don't even even know existed. And it could be things from cholesterol to eye issues to RSV to all kinds of things. And then you look at the students in school and behavior. We've talked about it before. Our teachers are leaving in droves because of behavior of students. And it stems from probably parents at home. I can tell you numerous stories of teachers that work with students on a daily basis and they get some progress, but then the weekend comes and by Monday all that progress is gone because parents aren't parenting. We're living in a difficult world, but we need to bring out our greatness. How do you define greatness? Well, here's Kobe Bryant. He's probably one that knows how to define greatness, wouldn't you think? I think the definition of greatness is to inspire the people next to you. I think that's what greatness is or should be. It's not something that's, that, that lives and dies with one person. Mm. It's how can you inspire a person to then in turn inspire another person that then inspires another person. 
And that's how you create something that I think lasts forever. Yeah. And uh, I think that's our challenge as people, is to, um, is to figure out how our story can impact others and mm-hmm. motivate them in a way to create their own greatness. Inspire people next to you. It doesn't live and die with one person. Got to invest in people around you. Nick Saban invested in Steve Sarkeesian. Look where he's at now. Imagine if we were able to inspire others around us to do good things. Inspire others around us to take their passion, to make it happen, to let themselves be great. Inspire others to get an education, to learn a skill, to invest in themselves so that they can be greater. Sacrificing a little bit of us to help others taking maybe a little less credit so that someone else can rise up. But that's something you're going to have to decide. Each person has to decide for themselves what it is that you want to do. Because the impact of others, because of what you've done, that impact on them might impact others and so on and so on and so on. And it works the opposite with the negativity. Misery loves company. So if you're going to be miserable and bring people down, then others are going to go down with you. And then maybe we need to recognize the toxicity in these people and be like, no, I'm not going to be around these people. I'm going to surround myself with a support group like Steve Sarkeesian did. His wife, big supporter. Obviously, Nick Saban reaching out, I'm sure now. There's conversation that can go back and forth between Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian as mentor, mentee, or maybe just friends. There's a lot of things that you can do as an individual. And you take a look at some of the things that we talked about. Now, you might be opposed to what I say, and that's fine. That's your opinion. That's your, you can do that. You can be opposed to everything I said. But you cannot look at the facts and say that a lot of this is driven by money. Multi-billion dollars worth of money going into these things and people realizing it and seeing dollar signs and saying, you know what, we need to continue to have customers so that we can make this money. How do we do that? Let's push an agenda. Did you ever care about your gas stove before until the World Economic Forum came out and said that we need to Do away with gas stoves. See, people don't care about things until you're told to. And that's been evident from vaccines to masks to Hamas to furnaces and gas appliances like your stove. There are so many things, BLM. There are so many things where before the event happens, you don't think about it. You have no idea about it. All of a sudden it happens. Social media tells you what to think. The news media tells you how to think. You're friends and you want to be a part of that group setting. So ordinary people succumb to that pressure of that group setting. You want acceptance. So now you're going to do things that you normally would not do. That's what it comes down to. So are you going to be the olive branch? Or are you going to be the one that contributes to the negativity, the toxicity of what's going on in this world? Are you going to bring out your inner greatness and raise the standard or are you going to tear other people down? Are you going to take your passion 
make it happen and let yourself be great? Or are you going to waste your life away? That's a question and decision that you have to make. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast. I'm Son Edom. I do encourage you to take your passion, whatever it might be, make it happen, especially in the new year. Let yourself be great. Greatness is in you. How do you define greatness? Kobe Bryant, inspiring the person next to you. Do something to inspire the person next to you, and then they inspire and so on. You can email the show, two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com, two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. And again, two is spelled out, T-W-O and everything. Check out our website, radiowarp.com. That's radio, W-A-R-P, radiowarp.com. You can click on the uh, logos. There's a couple different shows. You can click on the logos, like, for example, for Two Steps Head Podcast, and all our past shows pop up. We're on Rumble. We're on SoundCloud. We're also on YouTube. But Rumble and SoundCloud is linked to our website. You can just click the links. You can subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can uh, click the Listen Live link on our website and listen to some music, some podcasts, and other things, live entertainment. If you're looking for something different, unique, especially if you're at the office sitting in a cubicle maybe, you can just click it on right there from your computer. Um, you can check out our Instagram at Two Steps Ahead Podcast. We're on Facebook as well. My personal page is Edem Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, if you want to know a little bit more about me. And pretty much, hey, Google, hey, Suri, hey, Alexa, play TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and our episodes pop up. And you can just do an internet search, and you can find us pretty easily. But again, as you approach the new year, if you were to ask me, I would say be an olive branch. Extend that opportunity to somebody, like Nick Saban did to Steve Sarkeesian, so you have a chance to bring somebody or to help them have a second chance in life. Don't be like that person that, coerced Dr. Hamilton into what eventually became sex trafficked activity. Try to save those people. Imagine if you were able to save somebody from that type of lifestyle. And you may never know it. But aged out of foster care, she had a choice. She had a kid. What's she going to do? Someone came along. And that's the biggest thing real quick as we wrap it up. Someone comes along with a solution. Unwanted pregnancy. I'll just abort it. It's a solution. Your problem's gone. I need money. Hey, work serving cocktails at a strip club. Eventually, it turns into now you're engaged in prostitution because the pimps and other people get. It's all about the solution. You have a problem. I have the solution. What's that solution going to lead to? A Steve Sarkeesian style second chance on life or a sex trafficked, regret, aborted, sex changed? Whatever. We have a choice. It's up to you. Again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.